Hi, good afternoon. I'm Devorah Enton, and I am joined today with, by Michelle Winmuller. Mm -hmm. um, thank you so much for being here to be a part of our conversation, um, to be a part of our TikTok Talks. And I am honored to be able to spend a little bit of time today talking with you. This conversation really is in response to something that we have heard consistently from the people that participate in our support groups. And it's the question of either when do you stop or when do you know that it's time to stop and what comes next? And so I hope our conversation is going to kind of pull us in that direction. But before we get there, Michelle, can you tell me about you professionally? Who are you as a professional? And then we'll get into the personal. Well, thank you, for It's my pleasure to be here uh, with Yesh Tikva. I love the organization. Um, I, for 40 years, was in the LA Unified School System. And I was a teacher for 27 years of special ed, uh, in special education. I also uh, then became an administrator after I got my doctorate and became a school principal and, and then worked for a superintendent. So I did the gamut of everything. Uh, I worked at the university part-time and I just loved my 40-year career. Um, but it was time to retire. And so now what I did was at, when I retired, I still felt this sense of wanting to do something. My life wasn't over and I was very stressed and found meditation. And so I have become a certified uh, trainer, um, of, of meditation and personal development and have just taken my teaching into that arena. Um, and so that's what I'm doing now. How do you differentiate meditation from mindfulness or do you differentiate the two? Well, there's so many, so many kinds of meditation. I do what we call internal training. It's guided meditation. These tools are for personal development. Um, if, you know, we, we can create whatever experience of our life that we choose. And I never knew that. And so you can do a mindfulness meditation and calm the mind and just sit in peace or you can do some training to maybe identify an emotion that's been a pattern for you uh, or anyone and then shift that pattern so when i first retired i was depressed i was in deep sadness still about the past and didn't even know it hmm. um, and so i learned how to create from a different space and so my meditation is very directed, uh, it's internal training, it's training from the inside out so that I can create the life that I want to live and choose every day. Wow, so let's talk about that from a personal history perspective. Talk to me about your abridged version, I'm sure, and I'm recognizing how difficult it is to encapsulate that in a short piece of time, but talk to me about your fertility journey. Well, when I got married uh, to my lovely husband, Stephen, in 1991, our, under the, the chuppah, when we got married, we said, we want many children. That was one of our vows to each other. And so we immediately embarked on that. And little did I know how much uh, infertility I would experience. It wasn't Stephen, it was me. After many tests, I had 11 um, in vitro and all kinds of procedures. Uh, with uh, ending in 11 miscarriages. And so my the body was experiencing incredible stuff um, in addition to the emotional journey. We finally, the doctor finally said, 
that's it. He called quits. He said it's not healthy. So then we moved on to adoption. Three failed adoptions. I mean, it was like, was I felt like, and I said this many times, I said, we're getting a message from the universe. Is this God talking to us? And then after the three failed adoptions, we tried one more time with a surrogate that ended very, very horribly. It was a very bad experience for us. For others, I've, I know other people have had success and beauty and love. For us, it didn't work. And at that point, we said, that's enough. It was a very difficult decision. The doctor that we were working with, when I went back to him, he said, Michelle, go on a two-week trip with your husband and talk about the experience. Come to some conclusions and finish. Put a bookend on this. Hmm. So we did. Didn't end there, the emotional piece, but we didn't do any more intervention. And hmm. subsequently, we've never had children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about what that two-week kind of bookend experiencing is like for a person who has to face a decision to stop? What is that process like? So when we went, um, we had been in some therapy, some counseling to kind of deal with this. And she helped us. She said, go, just be in the experience. It was, it was literally like an emotional, when people say, oh, it was a roller coaster. Oh my gosh. One moment I was feeling peaceful on the beach. We went to Kauai uh, and rented a, a private condo and stayed there for two weeks. And I was on the beach. I remember having this intense uh, experience of peace, watching the ocean and the sunset. And we go inside to have dinner and I dissolve in tears. So it was like that. It was like, what was going on? And my husband and I would talk, but it was very painful to come to a conclusion that our dream was not fulfilled. And, but life wasn't over. So that we, my husband, you know, not having been through physically the experience, he was saying, well, you know, let's move on. And I said, well, you, easy for you to say, I'm in the, the physical experience. My body was readjusting to not being pregnant. And then, uh, you know, so I had to kind of do a little bit more internal work. Mm -hmm. And we decided, we actually asked ourselves the question, do we want to be married without mm -hmm. children and stay married? It was a very, and the therapist said, ask that question and go into it. Well, this man was my heart. So we obviously next in two weeks, we celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. Oh, I wow. mean, and life has been incredibly grand, but it didn't start that way. Did you feel, were you and your husband always on the same page? Let's say just looking at that two week space in time, were both of you on the same page in terms of saying it is indeed the time to stop? Was there any kind of discussion oh. about maybe we should try something else or yeah, you both no, were no. we were at that point after 11 miscarriages, three failed adoptions and a surrogate that mm -hmm. was totally not a good experience. We decided that was it. And we actually didn't speak about next steps. We just wanted to close this chapter and finish it. It felt mm -hmm. important to have closure. Mm -hmm. and to say we're not doing any more 
And this is a choice we made. When we felt like we had the choice to mm -hmm. say, you know, we're not going to move forward. We're not going to foster. We're not going to try adoption again. We're not, it, because that to us was crazy making. Mm -hmm. We were already almost five years into our marriage and we said, we need to move forward in our marriage, in our life. And it was all consuming. As people who go through infertility know, it is all consuming physically, emotionally, spiritually. So we closed the door. We closed the door. I'm curious, before we talk about what came next, the one thing that's just kind of coming up to the top for me is how did you protect your marriage? How did you, what were the things that you can identify in your relationship or in your strategies in those five something years that cemented or strengthened the relationship between you and Steve? Interesting question. When I met my husband, I was much older than most because there were reasons that I didn't get married very young. And it's for another interview, but let me say this. When I met him, uh, my heart was his. I mean, I knew we connected in that way. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just he was going to be the father of the children that we have, but he was my partner in life. I wanted to be become grow old with this man and experience uh, travel around the world and all kinds of things, experiences our work. We were passionate about serving our communities and doing the work that we were doing. And we continued to connect on those many levels and we had the same faith. So we were, uh, we had, we went to, we found a synagogue that we just loved, the rabbi, the, the, the community was around us. Uh, we had a group of friends that really held us up. It wasn't just us doing it alone in Hawaii for doing it. We have, it took a village mm -hmm. and, um, and the one thing that kept us going together was that I have a really great sense of humor. I mean, I, I, it's not a, I'm not being stuck up in any way, but I do. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, you know, we plan and God laughs at us. So <laughs> what's the message here? I'm always looking for the deeper message. And my mm -hmm. husband said, it's time for you to do something new. And it took two years to figure that out, but we did. And he helped me with that. Uh, and he, he said, you're going back to school. I said, school? I didn't want to ever go back to school. But I did. I went back for a PhD. It was very fulfilling. Um, my mom had passed away during that time, made it even more important to complete. She was an immigrant. And I thought she would love to see me fulfill on this dream of mine. And with that doctorate, I launched the pathway after infertility. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about what comes next. How did you, I know this is a grand, gigantic question, but how do you settle into that space of if you wanted to have many children to living a life without having children? And how do you settle into that space without having this sense of constant angst of what other people are experiencing and seeing how the rest of the world is living with children? What, do you, what is it like for you? What was that process like for you? Well, that's a great question because it wasn't always easy. I was easily triggered. I would go to a family function. My nephew had a bar mitzvah. I turned to my husband, I said, 
we're never going to have this for ourselves. Our child will never be up there. Uh, when my nephew got married uh, under the chuppah, I'm sitting in the front row watching him, you know, with his bride. And I said, we'll never experience this as parents. <laughs> and my husband would always, it, it was always this kind of a, this thing, it was unspoken. He would take my hand, he would hold it tightly. And he'd say it'd be okay. Hmm. You know, I, I can't tell you I didn't feel this. You know, sometimes this came up. But then it would go away and I would be in the joy of the moment. Uh, it was when I focused in that way. So I began to focus in a different way. I began to look at my life and Stephen's life too. Where could we connect with young people? Because that's what I really wanted was to raise a family. And so I met young women very young women, like in their early 20s, who were sometimes on welfare, single moms, uh, in the schools that I was serving and, and where I was an administrator. They were teaching assistants or they were parents bringing young children and they would come in and they'd want to talk to me about how difficult it was to be a parent. And I'm thinking, I'm not a mom, but I had enough empathy and I could I could relate, you know, to what a, what a mom might go through. I could see it. I could feel it. I could hear it. And I adopted some of these young women and sent them to, um, to college to better themselves. Mm -hmm. Many of them became administrators in the district. Their children became part of our family. I met so many very, very motivated young women, um, mostly Latinas, uh, to be honest with you, who just didn't have the means or the mentoring. And I became the mentor. And all of a sudden, I felt a very deep purpose on this earth to help a human being become more uh, than they even thought they could be. And so we sent about five young women uh, to college who now are incredible examples of what's possible uh, with support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I received, so I'm just saying I received support. I wanted to do that. And I watched these women grow. They became part of our family. They sat around our dinner table, holidays. They were in our lives. They are in our lives now. And they're now older, having grandchildren now. And I get to be a part of that. <laughs> so that was one thing that, that I did. So seeking, it sounds like one of the kind of mission statements is to identify what are the things that would be meaningful in my life after this piece of this, this story happened. And now what will come next that's meaningful to me? Where can I create relationships with people that give me a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning? Well, here's the way I look at it. That's true. But here I would I would shift that thinking a little bit because everyone out there is not a teacher and doesn't mm -hmm. want to teach. So let's say you're an artist and you create art that now people find incredible, 
beauty in your in your talent or you're a, a, a medical assistant or a doctor or you are a lawyer and you're serving in a very deep way people find their path through their passion so find a passion find something that lights you up inside that you can do every day something that um you can get up and say oh my gosh i feel so such purpose in this mm -hmm. and drive it drive mm -hmm. it with joy drive it with purpose with love with uh, compassion for yourself because your life took a turn my life took a turn that i didn't anticipate but what i realized was i created something through my own passion of teaching and mentoring that fulfilled my life in a way that I could not have even imagined. Mm -hmm. And um, these families that I've worked with held me up. And when they each one got married, they met someone uh, and fell in love. Um, I felt like, in a way, like the grandmother, uh, even though I was not, but uh, their young children were at the wedding. We we threw the wedding for, for a couple of them and, and actually we were there just, our heart was just open. It, it, it is through the, my passion that drove me to find ways and find meaning in other ways, in other uh, uh, arenas that I could not have anticipated. And I can guarantee you, I would not have been doing that had I had my own children. Right. I would have been focused on my own family. Right. So it took me outside of myself again hmm. to serve someone else, to help someone else, support someone else who in turn, in a very unique way, supported me to move forward and mm -hmm. feel meaning and find my passion. Right. I, I, I find it so, I, I mean, I, I, I think it's so profound what you've created. I want us to address that space in the becoming, that space of the two weeks in Hawaii, you know, and everybody else's, whatever that two weeks means to them, which may mean more than two weeks, right? Or whatever that means to that person and to the space and to the eventual space of finding passion and joy and profound meaning, the space in between, the becoming. What would you encourage people to do that as you just described, to me at least, honors the sadness of what's missing, you know, where your husband understood to grab your hand and to be there with you in that pain. And also to say, and I have my eye on something new and different and something that is going to fulfill me. The space in between is the becoming. What is it that you want people to understand of that transition? Because we're talking to you where you're in that, that other space already. What was the becoming space like in the, and, and what would you encourage, how do you encourage others to experience that? This is a great question. Um, so when we came home, it, I was still lost and still in a lot of pain and I had to go to work. Can you imagine? It was like, I, I, I wanted to just stay home and, and hibernate, but I couldn't. I was working. And um, so I went to work and that stage, that period of time was 
a great learning experience for me because um, I learned to feel my emotions fully, really feel them. If something came up, I would remove myself, and not, not while I was in a classroom, but at my break, and I would just go to a private place and really be in the, uh, with the, the emotions. And it made me more compassionate with the children. You know, when kids would be acting out or they'd have frustrations, I would just look at them and think, you have no idea, little one, just, you know, and I'd hug them or it was, it was just a transition for me. I would go home at night and think, wow, this is, this is it. Like I'd look around and go, this is reality here. Mm -hmm. And I just began to focus on things that I love to do. So my husband and I started traveling. We, we made, we took a map of the world and we put it on the wall and we, we literally put pins in all the places we wanted to travel. And Stephen said, dream, where do you want to go? And we created these trips together where we learned about cultures and language and food and um, just uh, we collected stuff that we don't even need that we are trying to get rid of now. But <laughs> at the time, it seemed so important and part of our trip. But we began to develop some things that filled us both. My husband took up gardening. We have a beautiful, incredible garden and I get to enjoy it now. And, and uh, we have like the, an orchard back there. Um, and I began, I began to write again and um, meet with girlfriends again and just get together and laugh and do things that we, we would see movies. We filled our time with things that we enjoyed together. And then our work was very meaningful, but we wanted to do something together. And so we found these little places where we connected and had an incredible time. We'd read a book and then we'd talk about it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so that time, it took time, trust me. It was up and down. Every time I hit a slump, as I would call it, I would feel sad or um, really uh, almost bordering on, I never allowed myself to get depressed anymore. I said, if I get that way, then I need to go get some serious help because I really wanted to live. So when that sadness came up again, um, or I felt frustrated with the body, that the body didn't work the way I wanted it to, you know, we all think, oh, we take the body for granted, but the truth is the body does what the body does. And I can't control that. I can take care of the body. I can nurture it. I can eat well, drink, exercise, all that, and still have infertility issues. That's mm -hmm. just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And so what I did during that time was to use every, every time I got really triggered or sad and I took some time by myself, I thought, what can I learn from this? Where am I, where am I choosing to focus? And my focus was always on whatever the trigger was, that event or something someone said. I remember this woman was saying to me one time, she says, I, you probably didn't try hard enough because you see movies. I know. I mean, I, I had that same look and I said, I said, what did you say? And she said, I, I bet you just didn't try hard enough. You know, you see movies where people have 
babies left on their doorsteps. I thought, well, that is fantasy thinking, you know, that. And so it triggered me. I got really activated. I got angry. Uh, I excused myself. I went by my, and so those experiences made me stronger. I did not fight with people. I didn't explain myself. I simply took a deep, and I mean deep breath, and said, I, I'm important in this world. I, I will make my mark. I will have my legacy. I will find meaning in my life. And I'd eventually, you know, just feel a little bit re more relief and move forward. But those people are kind of insensitive sometimes, you know, you know, you meet people and they say, oh, well, where are your children? You know, they don't even think about it. It's a natural mm -hmm. thing. And I said, mm -hmm. oh, we don't have children. And she said, oh, was that a choice? And I, and, and that, this, a, a new trigger. And I, I had to figure out what was I going to say that would make me feel like it was, I could say something and move out of that. And so I got to say to people, we tried, a, we tried for a long time and weren't able. So we don't have children. Mm. And mm. I would stop talking and they would sit there with their question. Mm -hmm. And then they would either say, oh, they'd move on or they'd apologize. Or I said, it's okay, you know. It's a natural question for people to ask, especially when you're in a community where there's kids running around and all kinds of things. But I'm more sensitive to others now. I don't ask that question, obviously. No. <laughs> and uh, I wait for them to uh, either say something or not. And it's okay. It's perfectly okay. Can you answer one more question for me that comes up is what I hear so much is the sense of retreat, that the world becomes so much smaller for people who are struggling with not having children and not knowing if they will ever have children. The world gets so much smaller. They pull away from the people and the experiences that are just very, very painful and very deeply triggering. What is your response to that? How is it that you didn't retreat away? Or maybe you did, but maybe you can just address that. That's a great, great question. Life changes, you know, when, if you're in a group of people who are all having children, then the children really connect you, those families, birthday parties, oh, this one, that celebration, that's a connection. I didn't have that. And so I connected with people who, some had children and I grew up with the kids and I love their children and some were other single people and couples without children. It changes, you know, if you think over your lifetime and everyone should think this, there are people who come in and out of our lives. We're not, you know, 40 year friends with everybody who we knew when 40 years ago, you know, people come in our lives during certain times in certain settings. And then when that ends, the relationship moves on and it doesn't continue. And so as a couple without children, you know, we found our way. Um, my husband was the dean of a, of a private seminary here in Los Angeles. There, it was a whole community that embraced us. And so whether they had children or not, they were very sensitive to, to him and to me. And so we kind of went in that academia 
the university was served. I found places where I felt uh, really uh, comfortable. Um, and then I had friends, friends who had children, whose kids loved me more than they loved their parents because I was like the auntie. I was the, you know, I could buy gifts for them. <laughs> they liked me more. They'd say, I like you more than mom. And I would <laughs> love that. It was like, I found my way. I connected with people who were deeply sensitive to me, but not just about infertility, just because they wanted to be with me and know me. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I found my heart opened. I I have really good good friends, not many though. It's not like I have a hundred friends today in, in the sunset years of retirement, it retooling myself, um, but I have friends who, we have history and it's it's that friend who if you haven't seen them in months and months when you're together it's like it was yesterday mm -hmm. that's what happens with that wisdom infertility brought me wisdom about how to be sensitive in my world to others and their loss and it wasn't just infertility loss it could be a death it could be a failure uh, it could be a marriage lost it brought me incredible empathy and wisdom about how to navigate this life that we have no control over. We think <laughs> we do, but we don't. And when I let go of the notion that I could control my life, I was free. Freedom was huge for me. And now I'm a totally free person. I get to choose what I want to do and experience and who I choose to be and who I choose to be with, uh, whether they be children or adult children or friends or family, it's a choice. And uh, would I do it differently today? I'm very grateful that my life is the way it is. I have a lot of gratitude for where I've landed in my life, for who I've become and who I, I get to be for the next 30 years. Well, I, I'm grateful for the 30, 30 minutes that I just got with you. I, uh, I feel like I could sit and listen to you for quite, the wisdom is, is so deep. There's, it, it's so obviously deep and it's a worked upon wisdom. And that's what comes across to me the most is it's not, it's not, um, can we use the word psychobabble, <laughs> right? It's wisdom that has been grown and has been yeah. sought after. And I just, I, I know these words are going to hit really, really meaningfully to those that are going to watch and to listen. And so I just want to thank you for spending the time with me today, for giving us some of that wisdom and sharing this space in a very unique and vulnerable place. And so thank you so much for doing this. With my, my absolute pleasure. <laughs> and I wish everyone who's listening to find their path, dig deep into the wisdom of the experience and live your life fully, free yourselves, free yourselves, really. Beautiful, thank I'm you. very grateful. Thank you. Thank you.